0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito
1: com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito com. Welcome back into episode 8 of the Card Chronicle podcast. Mike Rutherford and Danny Sinard here with you recording late on a Thursday. This should be in your ears uh, early on Friday, or I guess at any point throughout the day on Friday. We're going to recap the Georgia Tech win, the reaction to that, which has been, I think, I'm going to say overwhelmingly negative, but certainly it's not nearly as positive as what we've experienced the last couple of weeks. And then uh, kind of talk about what that means for the team and maybe a little bit about what's going right for this group, what's not going right for this group. Uh, first and foremost, Dan, uh, up there in Columbus, Ohio, how are you?
0: God, it is just so cold all the time up here. Like, I, I, for any listeners that don't know, I, I actually I lived in Louisville pretty much my whole life, and I moved up to Columbus, Ohio about, about a year and a half ago, and I know it's only about three and a half hours north, but I swear it feels like I'm at like the northern edge of Minnesota up here. It's freezing. So
1: you cross um, the bridge, man. I tell you, right when you cross that bridge, the sky is gray forever, and it's just everything's wet. It rains from the ground up. There's never been a day in Ohio. I know that you're, you know, you got the family in Cincinnati, so you can't slander Cincinnati. But there's never been a day in Ohio where it hasn't been crow- uh, cloudy, gray cold and wet i i firmly believe yeah. that
0: i fall into like all those like yahoo like rankings like hey this is like the best state to retire like well anyways they had one that like columbus was like the gloomiest city in the united states like <laughs> and like seattle was second and i was like god just one more dan in the dumps moment to add to the resume here but um they have the
1: crew, crew yeah seriously the crew. Yeah. um A lot of people reached out after the last podcast, wanted to make sure that you were okay, wanted to make sure that you didn't catch malaria in the airport in Nashville. Are you any health concerns after the loudest and most consistent coughing that I've ever heard over a single 45-minute span of my entire life?
0: So I'm not going to lie. I usually don't go back and listen to the podcast, um, but when I read your title about how it emphasized the coughing in the background, I felt like I needed to, and I was listening on the flight home because um, the podcast had been put out and i'm not gonna lie i was mortified at how loud it came through i was like oh my god and yeah someone was like does you know how to use a mute button i was like why did i not use a mute button like i totally panicked and yeah i don't know but no i'm fine and i appreciate um everyone's concern
1: i was hoping the reaction was going to be like oh those guys you know they're Just like our friends back home, they don't have that professional, rich equipment, and it's just cheeky and it's kind of you know lowbrow, and it it works for them. I thought that was hilarious. It was mostly people being like, "Why don't you fix this shit? Like, like, like why don't (laughs) why don't why don't you stop having random coughing and the the loud booming voice of the airport?
0: Yeah, it's two thousand twenty. I think I think we know how to block out the background noise. I just. I was so focused in on the Josh Passner, michael Scott quiz. I, I, I didn't
1: want to mess anything up. Uh, nobody thought it was funny at all. Uh, so this is a, there you go, lesson learned. If we have to record in the airport, we'll do a better job next time. Uh, let's talk about uh, Wednesday night's game. Louisville host Georgia Tech, the Prince of March, Josh Pastner, in the building. He was especially he, – he was even more Pastner than usual. Uh, we'll start there because – You know how I feel about the man. He's just kind of he's easy to make fun of. And my God, he he was so easy to make fun of after the game. Uh, Also, he's doing it's the coaches versus cancer week so that all the coaches are wearing tennis shoes for these games. And with Pastner wearing a suit that did not fit him well at all. (laughs) And the tennis shoes, I think my guy Doctor of Dunk on Twitter put it best. He simultaneously looked like a 12-year-old and an 81-year-old at the exact same time. Like, like, <laughs> he, he looks like he should have been like going to a sixth-grade JV game or a sixth-grade C-team game uh, and maybe also like going to the nursing home right after. Whatever he was, he doesn't look 45 or 50 or however old he is. And he also was just super animated the entire time. It was like he drank six Mountain Dews for lunch and had nothing else. He really wanted to win this game. And he didn't. So that that was kind of I, it was hard not to notice that he was like on the floor spazzing out five times during this game. Was that distracting yeah. to you at all? Well, coincidentally, I know that
0: the, the shoes kind of threw off the look, but he was dressed like he was headed to business school. And all I can think <laughs> of was like the Michael Scott going to speak to the business school um, class. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything the guy does is corny. Uh, there was rumors on there that, that, um, that even, uh, Chris's wife, uh, Chris, here we go again, coach Mac's wife was maybe getting slightly annoyed at passengers antics well, she was, um, on the sideline, which I totally appreciate and shout out to Chrissy Mack if that's the case. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just, sometimes you look at him you can't believe that not only is a, is he a NC, you know, double a division one coach, but an ACC coach. And he
1: used to coach at Memphis. I mean, has there ever been a bigger discord between a coach? I mean, Pastor doesn't cuss. And he, I mean, we read the fucking quotes last time. I mean, the, the negative Nellies and, and you know, and he's dealing with inner city kids from Memphis. Like that, it, the, the, I don't know why anybody ever thought that was going to work. The fact that they made any NCAA tournaments at all was nothing short of remarkable. You mentioned, I mean, a lot of people were saying Christy Mack was very upset with Pastor and she was kind of yelling at him. There's a picture of her, going pretty nuts. I'm not sure if that's exactly what she was doing, but I, I, for, for my own personal belief system, I'm just going to believe that. But it seems like Chris uh, Mack actually kind of likes Josh. And I feel like it's more of a, like he gave him the extended hug and like the nice little chest pat when they were shaking hands. Oh yeah, talk. he dapped him
0: up. He dapped him yeah, up for sure.
1: He, he talked after the press conference about what a nice guy he is. And I feel like this whole thing is kind of like, everybody had that friend in high school or college that you made like freshman or sophomore year, and you really liked them at the time, but by the end of school, you realize like like they were the most annoying person in the entire world, and you wanted to throw them out your window, but when you see that person after not seeing them for a long time, like if it's been a couple of years, you are so excited to see them, you're like, man, what a nice guy, we're telling stories, this is fantastic, <laughs> and after about 45 minutes, you realize like, holy shit, it's all coming back to me now. This is why I wanted to throw you out of the window of my sixth floor dorm room. Like, you are driving me crazy. I feel like that's Mac with Pastner. Like, yeah, if he had 100. to spend more than one day with him, he would just be like, to hell with this guy. But because he doesn't have to, he's nice to him.
0: Yeah, it, like, it's like the guy that maybe it was in, like, a bunch of your classes that, like, you always sat next to. And you're like, you know what? I actually get along with this guy. I think he's really cool. And then, like, you, like, kind of, you're, like, telling your friends, like, hey, I, like, we should have this guy over and they're like, uh, okay, Dan, whatever, whatever you say. And like, you you don't really make a believer from your friends, but you still kind of stay friends with the guy. And then like when you see him like out at the bar, like the night before Thanksgiving, when you're like 20 years old, like back from college, you're like, holy shit,
1: this is great. But yeah, I kind of get the same vibe from him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I hated to see Chris Mack kind of give him some props, but I can understand why. Because, I mean, if you don't have to deal with him on a daily basis, I'm sure he does come off as a nice guy. But let's talk about the actual game. Louisville wins 68-64 and besides like a five-minute stretch where it looked like the game was hanging in the balance and Louisville looked like it put it away and then, of course, they let Georgia Tech go on a 10-0 run. Besides that five-minute stretch where they went on an 11-0 run and seemed to seize control, it was just kind of a just a very blah performance. Um, and I thought that we had gotten these out of our systems. Not not necessarily like the bad games. You're always going to have more bad games. I mean, Louisville's probably going to lose a game between now and the end of the regular season that isn't Florida State, which is going to be a quote-unquote bad loss. But just the whole, like, this team acting like they can go through the motions and beat anybody— I kind of thought we were past that, and, and I don't think we were. And Chris Mack's comments after the game seemed to allude that he doesn't think that they're past that as well. And it was nice to see him acknowledge that. But I'm just so – and I don't want to be overly critical again, but I'm just so sick of this team needing to be reminded that they're not as good as they think they are. And I thought – like, we had it a couple of times in November and December. I remember after the Miami-Ohio game, it was a big topic of discussion. After the Miami-Florida game, it was a big topic of discussion. And I don't know how many times these guys need to be humbled – before they realize, like, if we're not giving maximum effort, if we're not fully locked in and fully engaged, we're not good enough to beat bad to okay teams in our conference. Like, it's just not going to happen. We just can't walk over people. And I feel like they kind of had that that same mentality back after the Duke game, the same mentality that we saw on full display when they played Texas Tech up in Madison Square Garden. Am I being overly harsh, or, or did you see kind of the, the same thing?
0: Uh, no, I, I saw the same thing. And And the thing that really confuses me is we're not a very young team i mean right. we have you know seasoned veterans out there who, who have been through this and they should know that after winning on the road at duke this is the classic letdown game and you know everyone's circling this is hey they're probably going to come out flat because not only do they want at Duke, they came back you know they got a whole new locker room and it, it just had the recipe to come out flat and that's when your team leader's you know, need to step up and say, hey, we're, we're coming out and, you know, we're, we're going to put our our foots on their throat immediately. And it is a little disconcerting not to see that. I, I am very glad that they got the win um, because that would have looked very bad on the resume. Um, But I and I'll give Georgia Tech credit. I mean, they actually looked a lot better than I thought they would. Their guards I thought were impressive. Um, they 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 took our guards off the dribble at will, got in the lane, and they did a really good job of keeping their dribble alive and making the the extra pass or finishing at the rim. So I'll give Georgia Tech, you know, credit for probably being a little tougher opponent than us or maybe uh, the team had realized. But still, I mean, I, I we have enough talent and enough experience where I think. Uh, that's a game where we should have come out you know from the get go and
1: taken control of the game I thought mac I think this was like a month ago made a really good point when you know people keep talking about the experience of the team. I mean they start three fifth year seniors they start um a, another junior they they really there's no there's no player on the team that gets major minutes outside of David Johnson and Samuel Williamson that's anything but a junior or a senior, and he said. Yeah, on paper, it looks really good. But you have to think about the type of experience that we're talking about here. Like, none of these guys have played in this position where they're a top 10 team and they're expected to be really good. Like, Stephen Enoch hardly played at all when he was at UConn. Um, Ryan McMahon didn't play a whole lot before last year. Jordan Wara didn't play at all his freshman year, really. Uh, didn't step into a bigger role until last year. Dwayne Sutton was at UNC Asheville to start his career um, and then sat out here and came in here originally as a walk-on. So all these guys that are are kind of guiding the ship here, they still don't have a whole lot of experience as, as like being the hunted, as being a, a top-ten team that everybody's gunning for and having to make sure that they're fully focused and fully engaged night in, night out. And I think the other thing that's going to be – it's probably going to become more of a talking point once we get to March like, these guys don't have experience with success in the NCAA tournament. Nobody on this team has has won multiple games in the, in the tournament. I know Fresh Kimball won a game at St. Joe's. Enoch was on a couple of teams that, I, well, I guess they didn't even make the tournament when he was at UConn. Um, Dwayne Sutton played in a game at UNC Asheville. They got beat, beat by Villanova fairly handily. But, like, the only guys that were on that 2016-17 team that beat Jacksonville State and lost to Michigan— were either sitting out for transfer rules or weren't weren't playing at all, like Ryan McMahon. So like that's gonna become kind of a thing. As experienced as this team is and as loaded as it is with upperclassmen, you don't have guys that have, you know, played in a semifinal game in a conference tournament. You don't have guys that have played in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And I don't know how much of a factor that is. Having said all that, I agree with your overall point though. Like going through what they went through a year ago, tanking down the stretch, having so many games where they blew leads late you'd think that all of that stuff would help them avoid performances like, like Wednesday nights where they just looked like they were listless. I think Daniel Lerner used the exact word that I was thinking of after the game. Like, that shouldn't happen. Hell, I mean, it shouldn't happen halfway through a season. You need to get over this. But maybe this is the final wake-up call. Maybe it's the last time that we see it. But my God, I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm tired of the sleepy performances. I agree with you, though. Um, like Georgia Tech, I said when we were previewing the game— I actually like their roster makeup. They really they have no business being eight and eleven. Alvarado's an experienced guard. He's really good. Who didn't play against us last year? Devos a big time scorer. He's a top ten scorer in the conference right now. And then Banks and Wright down low are two of the the better front court players in the league. So they've got four really good players. What they don't have is any depth. And they have a a, a coach who you know should be coaching seventh and eighth grade junior high basketball. So I think that's kind of where it goes. But I mean they're getting. All of those guys back next year, like they, they should actually be a pretty good team. I don't know what the future holds for Josh Passner, but I'm with you. I was kind of I, I feel like Georgia Tech could be that kind of spoiler team for teams like NC State and Virginia and Virginia Tech who are trying to sneak into the tournament. Maybe Syracuse now. That's not a team that you want to play in the ACC tournament or down the line in February.
0: Yeah, and I
1: kind of backtrack
0: um, to a point you made earlier about not having any experience on our roster as far as the NCAA tournament goes. I think that's even more important for us to win games like this because we are going to need a, a a good seed to have a favorable first round matchup. The last thing that this team needs is like a you know a five twelve game or, or a six eleven game um, in the NCAA tournament because a lot of times those games can be toss up and toss ups and you're going to want, you know, this team to have a a low seed and an easier opponent um, first round just to kind of instill some confidence in these guys that hopefully they can, you know, uh, have a a opponent that, you know, really doesn't hold as much leverage as, uh, you know, an 11 or 12 seed would and, you know, kind of get them jump started for the rest of the tournament.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I totally agree with that. It, it is kind of, it's funny to look, and I know that we're Louisville fans and we do this a lot, but look at the, the the fact that this is a team that's ranked sixth in the country right now. We're seven and one alone atop the ACC. We don't have any bad losses. We don't have a loss to a team that's ranked outside the top 25 right now. And yet this team is driving everybody fucking crazy. And I mean, my, myself included, I'm definitely not immune to that there are some strong 2014-15 team uh, vibes, I think, with this group. And as far as just seeming to not really dominate teams the way they should or maybe play with the, a consistent level of energy and enthusiasm the way that they should, that team ended up – I don't want to say they got it together. They almost lost to UC Irvine in the first round, but they ended up making a run in the tournament. I think this group has more of a potential to, to find that chemistry, to find more leadership. The leadership on that 2014-15 team was just disconnected because Trez scared everybody. And yeah. Wayne Blackshear only cared about his girlfriend. And then you had a bunch of of young guys. I think with Dwayne Sutton and, and Ryan McMahon, and um, I think even Malik Williams showed a lot of leadership down the stretch. I think you can kind of rectify that stuff. But there was some – I think the fact – I like the fact that Mac acknowledges – a lot of the shortcomings, the same stuff that we see, like what we're talking about right now, he sees it himself. I think with Rick Pitino, a lot of times he would, he kind of always wanted to be the contrarian. He'd be like, no, you, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like, that was a great win. It's it's a huge win. We're going to be fine. And then behind closed doors, you'd hear that he was more pissed off than anybody. But Mac, after the game, kind of talked about the fact that he's upset with this team needing these constant wake-up calls. And he said, you know, we've got older guys. Eventually these seniors are going to have to step in and stop all of this stuff. But the one quote after the game that really, really scared me was Malik Williams was asked about like, the fragility of his team and, and, and if, if something goes wrong down the line. He said exactly, this is his quote, he said, it's not going to be another team that'll come out and beat us, it'll just be us. And I hate that he's thinking that way because I, I think a lot of us are thinking that way, but it's different for us as fans. If a player kind of has that in the back of his mind that you know, we're so good that only we can beat ourselves you're going to end up kind of falling victim to the same types of, of performances that we've seen too many times. Like I saw that and I kind of was like, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't like that. He's even thinking that way. Like I, I kind of want them to be like, we recognize that we're not good enough to, to beat teams just by showing up. We got to outwork everybody we play. And I think that's the mentality that Dwayne Sutton mentality is what needs to just wash over this entire squad. No. And I, I completely
0: agree with that. And a quote like that, um, you know, talking about if anyone's gonna beat us, it's gonna be ourselves. That kind of mentality, especially when you get late in the season and tournament time, it, it makes you nervous that they're gonna be a team that might tighten up when you know crunch time hits. You, at that time, you want your team playing as loose as possible. Um, but the one thing I'll say, as as the game kind of moved in, when we got down 11 and and Dwayne again stepped up and hit that big three. Um, to kind of start to the come back there is it was it, it, it's still been really nice these last four games where we've just kind of willed our way um, back into games or you know kind of willed our way to victory and I as much as we talk about kind of the negative stuff that's gonna go a long way for us I think when when march rolls around that you know we're able to hey if stuff isn't going our way um, you know they're able to to kind of Strap it up and and make sure that by any means necessary that they're going to find you know a way to get a victory.
1: I liked it against Pitt and I liked it against Notre Dame because I felt like we were playing we were competing we were playing hard we just weren't playing all that well and then we still found a way to win. I didn't like it as much in this. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad that they won and a win is certainly a win and that that five minute stretch was was really impressive where they seized control. But I did but I felt like they were. It felt different than those two road games before. I agree. Yeah. It it felt like they were just kind of banking on being able to turn it on, being able to flip that switch. And at some point, you know, we're better than these guys. They're going to start screwing up. They're going to start missing shots. They're going to make some turn, you know, some careless turnovers and we're going to pounce and we're going to be fine. And and we can just kind of, you know, breeze through this whole thing. I I didn't get that sense in the pit Notre Dame games. I felt like they were just competing. They just weren't playing as well. And it makes me a little bit nervous. It doesn't, it makes, it doesn't make me nervous. Like long-term prospects, It makes me nervous that we're going to have another one of these games, you know, when we're playing, I don't know, a a team like nine through 15 in this conference at some point where we can't just flip it on or, or where they don't start making silly mistakes and they do capitalize. And we end up losing a home game to a team that we have no business losing to. And it costs us maybe a seed line on Selection Sunday. That's kind of if this keeps happening, they're going to lose one of these games. There's no way around it. But so far, it has been nice to see them pull out games the way that they have. just go to cars.com. It's magical. Um, you and I we, we were texting during the game and like we talked about earlier, Georgia Tech looks like a team that should not be eight and 11, especially on the road. They've been really good on the road this year. Um, they were three they, they haven't won a conference game at home which is really bizarre. but they're three and two on the road and they've beaten a couple of good teams. I thought you know you, you kind of were like how have they lost so many games. They had Jose Alvarado out for seven games. He was injured a little bit earlier in the year. And then I do think that the the postseason ban stuff has kind of messed with them a little bit. I know that the school is appealing. And if the ACC tournament started today, they'd be able to play because the appeal hasn't been ruled. There's not a whole lot of faith amongst college basketball people that the NCAA is going to change anything. And I I was thinking about this. How does Josh Pastner not get any sort of punishment from this whole deal? from what they're dealing with with the NCAA because it's a I think the punishment is silly the one that they got there's no reason for them to get um, a a postseason ban I think that that was especially dumb when they handed it out after school had already started so if you were a senior at Georgia Tech and this was your last college season you had no chance to go to another school or you know be registered or anything like that you were locked into this year and it sucks not having an NCAA tournament to play for but like I don't know first of all are you familiar with why Georgia Tech got in trouble, like, the, the basic story there at all? I, it, I know it had something
0: to do with, like, the his friend, and then his friend, like, rat on him or something like that. I,
1: I, you'll yeah. probably have to give the backstory. Real quick, because – I, and I will only do this because it's fucking hilarious. So, so Josh Pastor makes a friend with this really weird, kind of older, really rich dude named Ron Bell – and I don't know how they – I guess they became friends because Pastor's also a, a rich, weird dude. But this is when they're at Memphis, and this guy becomes a friend of the program, and he's going to practices, and they have this really tight relationship. Pastner takes the job at Georgia Tech. Ron Bell continues to be a hanger-on. He's doing all this stuff. At some point, there's a falling out between the two. And the best part of the entire story is Ron Bell makes it a point to tell – I think Gary Parish broke it first – that part of the reason why he's so upset about everything is that Pastner didn't wish him a happy birthday. So <laughs> – If you make friends with really rich, weird dudes that have the, you know, a little bit of dirt on you, make sure you always at least send them a birthday text, like just keep them happy. So at this point, the scorned friend is like, all right, well, I'm going to blow the whistle on you. Like, I've got some dirt on you. I'm coming clean with all of it. I'm I'm going, I'm going to the NCAA and he starts breaking all these, you know, he paid this assistant uh, money to give to recruits. He flew um, Josh Akogi, who was the best player at Georgia Tech at that time, and Todrick Jackson out to his house in Arizona and bought them a bunch of shoes and did all this illegal stuff. He also, and it's crazy to me that this has kind of disappeared, right before they played Louisville, I think it was two years ago, came out and said that Pastner had raped his girlfriend or his fiancée or whatever his Yeah, like it was a big story. And basically, like everybody looked into it, and they were like, "This guy is, you know, he's batshit crazy. There's no truth to this whatsoever." Um, and that kind of just disappeared. But basically, the NCAA looked at all of these, you know, the, the, the violations. They found that some actual stuff took place, and they went ahead and I think um, took away like the the three games that Georgia Tech's won the last four years and banned them from postseason play this year. But my big question is, how does how does Pastner like not get anything for that? I mean, this is his friend. We yeah. Should, Time and time again, like coaches are held responsible for everything that happens in their program. Um, I mean, Dave Leto got suspended a couple of games to start the year for DePaul. Uh, we Patino was going to get five games if he hadn't been fired here. Um, Kevin Ollie got the show calls for the stuff that happened at UConn. Like this is, even if he wasn't actively involved or didn't know what was going on, it's kind of mind blowing to me that Passner didn't at least get some punishment in all this. But again, it's the NCAA. Who the hell knows what they? They're they're really
0: like even talking about the NCA just makes my blood boil. There's literally no rhyme or reason to any decision that they make. There's no use in like trying to analyze one punishment over another, um, or one scandal versus another because the NCA they they're really just gonna do whatever they want to do and nobody's able to stop them and it's just infuriating. And unfortunately, you know, I feel like we've been on the shitty end of just about every one of those decisions. So um, hopefully a new decade here. And, you know, we don't have to deal with that. I know we probably got something coming down the pipe soon, but hopefully after, you know, whatever punishment they dole out to us, that that that's that. And we don't have to deal with them anymore.
1: They're the worst, Jerry. They're they're the absolute worst. Um, All right. Let's talk about Jordan Wara. I think we have to get here. And look, Louisville fans being overly critical of the team's best player is I mean it, it's a winter tradition here it's it's right up there with you know running to Kroger and buying all the bread and milk when it starts snow outside but a lot of times because of that I, I feel like I need to like especially this year I feel like I've needed to defend Jordan and say you know look at the stats look at the numbers that he's number one number two number three whatever he is in Ken Palm's player of the year rankings but he really frustrated me against Texas Tech I thought that he turned a corner after that. He didn't play well against Kentucky, but even the Duke game and you and I discussed this, like he didn't play great, but he didn't hurt you. He didn't try to do too much. He did other stuff. This was, this was the most frustrated I've been with Jordan the entire year. Like, I I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on with him, but he definitely let what was happening on the offensive end affect him in other areas. I mean, he was a liability on defense down the stretch so much so that Chris Mack had to take him out of the, the, the game. Like every time there was a whistle and we were on defense, he was going with Sam Williamson or he was going with somebody else and he was taking Jordan out of the game cause he couldn't defend anybody. And not only that, he wasn't making any effort to like, I don't mind the three and 11, three for 11 shooting nights. I don't mind the occasional four shot because we know he can make it. I mind when the head starts dipping and, and the pouting comes back and the, you know, the, I'm not going to guard somebody because I'm not getting mine on the other end. Like that shit cannot happen. You are an all American candidate. You are a junior. You're about to go to the NBA you're trying to lead your team to, you know, a Final Four and potentially a national title. Like, I, I feel like this should, this, this corner should have been turned by now. But my God, like, it's got to happen now. Like, this, this has to be the last time that we're talking about this.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was pretty telling that Mac spent a segment of his press conference talking about. Uh, I think before the Georgia Tech game, he kind of went in on the fans a little bit asking i i don't really know what they expect out of jordan you know when he's scoring they want more rebounding they want defense when he's playing defense they want more scoring and he is kind of the victim to his own success but here's the deal with jordan if he rebounds and plays defense at a high energy level I'm not even really worried about scoring because he's talented enough to where I think he'll he'll get his 10, 12, 14 or even more points just by being on the court. I think just for him, um, a lot of it is body language, especially on the defensive end. And it just there's I mean, I could have pinpointed three or four plays last night. There was a loose ball uh, underneath the basket where. You know, he could have easily dove on it. He kind of bent over at the waist. Yeah. And then, like, a second later, like, Dwayne comes, like, flying in. Like, he was shot out of a rocket, like, diving, you know, out of bounds to save it. Then we had the ball that got looser. Georgia Tech almost threw it in the half court. And Jordan was standing there flat-footed yeah. um, as they threw the ball into the basket. And then even, like, the one of the last plays of the game where um, they got an offensive rebound – And Jordan did box out and he got shoved in the back, but he kind of flopped forward. And if there's ever a time like you don't want to flop, it's probably with like I I forget how much time left. It was it was very late in the game. Um, You know, that's that's a time where you got to be a man and go up strong for a rebound. So, again, I I, I don't want to hate on the kid because he's I think he's a likable kid. It looks like all the teammates like him. Um, he's obviously very talented His his offensive game translates to the NBA. And he's definitely one of our, our, our if not our most valuable player. Um, but for this team to take another step, he's going to be, have to be on the floor and he's going to have to show, you know, 10 times more energy than we're getting him from him right now on the, on the defensive end. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah. His, uh, the plays that you just talked about in question, I agree with all of them. Like that performance, those plays are completely symptomatic of the the larger issue that we're talking about with this team, where I think Jordan just kind of thinks he can get away with stuff that he can't get away with. Like you are, he's a fantastic college player. He's really good. Whatever success Louisville has between now and the end of the season, he's going to play a huge part in that. I think that goes without saying, but like the play that you talked about where it looked like Georgia Tech was going to throw the ball over the backcourt, Malik Williams, he makes the wrong move. He sprints towards the the, the loose ball and leaves his man wide open under the goal, I think he realized it, but at least he's making an effort play. When they showed the replay, Jordan is just standing there guarding nobody. He doesn't think to go back and try to get, you know, recover and guard James Banks under the basket. He's not making the effort play to try and go get the ball himself. He's just standing there with literally nobody around him. And, I mean, if you played basketball at, like, you know, seventh, eighth grade at the YMCA, they're they're going to tell you, like, you should never just be standing around. Like, you should always be doing something. You should always uh, have your eyes on something. And for him to make that play with the, you know in crunch time in, in such a critical juncture was really, really disappointing. But um, I'm with you. Like, I, I still think that long-term Jordan is going to... I, I hope this is just kind of a, a bump in the road. I don't know what was going on with him. He also forced a bunch of two-point shots um, when he was obviously double-teamed and when Louisville was down that were really, really bad. And I thought the, the, maybe the most telling thing, everybody pointed to the fact that he got yanked a bunch at the end of the game. The effort level and the, like, Louisville's willingness to compete really picked up after he got pulled out for the first time in the second half. Like I agree. Got, yes. Like everybody was on the floor. Like every rebound was contested. And they weren't running great offense because they didn't have their best offensive player in the game. But it just like uh, they were trying harder. And against a team like Georgia Tech, that's really all you need to do to to even out the playing field. Like like Georgia Tech took it to us for the first for really like 30 out of the 40 minutes and got the better of us because of that. And the fact that we needed to have Jordan out of the game to up our energy level is something that we shouldn't be talking about. Um, you have anything else to add before we move on? I wanted to ask you a question
0: and this probably isn't fair to Jordan. Um, but do you think any part of him, um, mentally might be going in a different direction now that David Johnson seems to be assuming like such a larger role on our team? And I texted you this last night and I'll stick by it. Um, I think, from an overall player standpoint, offensive, defensive, scoring, ball handling, passing. I, I think David Johnson is our best player moving forward. And again, that's that's not a knock on Jordan. I think Jordan is the best scorer on our team. And when he gets hot, um, you know, he can score with uh, just outscore pretty much anyone in the nation. But I wonder if you know the fact that David's assuming such a larger role. Might be playing with the mindset of Jordan as far as you know being kind of the go-to guy on this team.
1: It d- that definitely could be it. Like I, I think Johnson, I'm not gonna say he's gonna be the best player on the team. He, hell, he might be. I mean, he was he he was pretty good again on Wednesday night. I think he, I think he has the, and we'll see what happens with Sam Williamson next year. I'm really still really excited about him. But I think that David Johnson, as of right now, looks like the the most surefire future pro. Like that's to me that's kind of been obvious the last couple of games, but I do wonder if the amount of attention that he got after Duke and the amount of negative attention that Jordan got after both Kentucky and Duke is kind of messing with him a little bit because I mean, here's the thing. It's not just the local attention. Now Louisville's three most watched games and it's, it's unfortunate for Jordan. I don't know who else was playing uh, when we were playing Florida state, but there were a bunch of games going on that day, that Saturday at that same time. So I think we played at two o'clock when he dropped 32 on FSU But the three games that that people have really been locked into were the game on Saturday against Duke because it was the the game day game. It was the marquee game. It was 6 o'clock. It was uh, all that good stuff. They've been hyping it all week. The Texas Tech game is the Jimmy V Classic game, and ESPN always makes sure that there aren't competitor games because they want people to be tuned into that because it's such a big fundraiser for them. And then Kentucky, the only competition we had with sports uh, during that time slot was the first college football playoff game, and Oklahoma was, you know – was was getting just just throttled yeah. by LSU. So everybody turned on the game um, against the UK and saw how poorly he was playing. All three of those times with the nation watching, he hasn't really played all that well. And I think he's probably, like, he seems to be a kid who kind of keeps up with that stuff. And I'm sure that he's been aware of the national reaction. I think the local stuff you can kind of get over and realize Louisville fans are going to be hard on everybody. There's going to be that vocal minority that just always wants something more. But when you start seeing the same stuff written by national people and you start seeing Uh, people question your, you know, your NBA ability and all this stuff. And you'd see a freshman getting that attention that you thought was yours. I do kind of wonder, I hate to speculate with stuff like that, but it's hard not to at least affect you a little bit, but hopefully this was a one-time thing and that we, you know, we see a a renewedly focused Jordan Wara, motivated Jordan Wara starting Saturday against Clemson. I agree. And I, I know, I know he has
0: it in him. I mean, we've seen it. Um, I think, I think for a matter of him, you know, maybe just string a, he's kind of a momentum guide. So string a couple games together. um, You know, it's, it's really important for him um, to kind of get going early. So uh, maybe kind of establish him early next game to kind of get his confidence up. And, you know, when he sees the ball go through the net, it seems like he's just a completely different player, but yeah, I have all the confidence in the world that he can figure this out, and like we said, you know, we, we really hope that he does because we're we're gonna need him come March.
1: This is a pro Jordan Wara podcast. 100 oh, percent. Yeah, I, I know. That's what, like I, I feel isn't. like
0: I'm bagging on the kid, and he's like, I mean, obviously, like if not like one of the more important guys on our team. So I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bagging, I'm bagging on him, and he's an All American candidate for a reason. Um, you know, I think just. Louisville fans, when they watch the game, he probably gets more focused than any other player. So, you know, unfortunately for him, he probably gets nitpicked a lot more than the other players do as well. So um, it it unfortunately kind of comes with the territory. But we love Jordan and, you know, we want to see him do well going
1: forward. Let's talk about somebody else we want to see do well going forward, and that's uh, Samuel Williamson. I think it was probably a couple of weeks ago when I was saying, I I didn't think that you could really talk about Sam Williamson and David Johnson in the same breath anymore, because for a while there, it felt like when you mentioned one, you had to mention the other, like these guys need more playing time. We got to play them in the backcourt together. And I kind of thought that Johnson had established himself as a guy who, I mean, pretty clearly is going to play a huge role on the team. And I thought that Williamson hadn't made the most of his opportunities and was going to be a guy that we saw get kind of like the, um, the Preston Knowles freshman year treatment where he's in for five to 10 minutes and you hope he can kind of, you know just 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 tide you over until Jordan's able to come back in the game and not hurt you. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I'm gonna walk back that take now. He's played really well and he did a lot of really good things in the Duke game, got a lot of big rebounds, had the breakaway steal in the dunk. And then I thought played really, really well against Georgia Tech. um was in there at crunch time. Obviously, Chris Mack trusts him, I think a lot more now than he did just a few weeks ago. He made that big bailout jumper at the end of the shot clock when it looked like it was going to be a wasted possession. Hit a big momentum killing three um, for us, and, and I thought looked at least somewhat better on the defensive end. He's he's still not a he and Johnson both are not defensive stoppers just yet. I think they have the ability to be, but they're both clearly a little bit lost in this pack line defense. But I thought he was he didn't get you killed on the defensive end in this game. Like I think Sam Williamson has taken as much of a stride as, as David Johnson's taken the last couple of weeks and as much talk as he's gotten about it. Sam Williamson quietly is kind of coming along here too.
0: Yeah, and credit to the coaching staff because when he was kind of struggling or kind of had lost his way there at the beginning of conference play, being a freshman, you know, they could have easily just kind of not really gave up on him, but kind of shortened the rotation there and, and kind of gone with the guys that they that, that were proven and they trusted. But um, you know, credit to Chris for running back out there, and and it seems to be proving him right because like you said it it seems like he's active both on the offensive and de- defensive end um he's all it seems like every rebound that goes off like the back of the the rim and like skies in the air like he's always like at, you know at the very like peak of like trying to out rebound yeah. the other team like um yeah. and yeah, I mean, the big shot last night, that should be good first his confidence going forward. So I love Sam. I think he's, you know, the, the sky's the limit with him. I think he's going to be really good. So, you know, obviously, being a freshman, we'll have to live through, you know, some of the mistakes. But I love that he's getting more run out there.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be – like. I think he's going to be all world next year. I think he has the potential. I mean, there was a lot of hype about him coming into the season. I think that – look, I – I don't want to get too deep into I, I think he ran into some of the same stuff that you have freshmen in college running into whether they're athletes or not and I, I think that it's like we kind of just view these kids as you know robots that are going out there to play and, and play well and do all this stuff and just play a game they deal with real life stuff too I mean, they deal with being away from home they deal with having to go to class they deal with a different structure for the first time in their lives and I think. For Sam, it was a little bit more of an adjustment than he thought it was going to be, especially after he got off to such a hot start. But like, I think he has all the potential in the world, and you're going to see that really, really shine next year when he's put into a, a larger spotlight. Um, also, shout out to Josh Nickelberry. One minute played, one foul, no other stats. That's the way to do it. That's the, uh, and I love this guy. That's the Perrin Johnson stat line. Put him in at the end of the half, let him get in there, get himself in the box score. And, and get them out. That's it. That's all you need to do. Make your impact felt and then uh, go back to the bench and cheer it up for the rest of the game.
0: What, one of my favorite parts about like our, kind of the group of friends we hang with is we, we, we like love to analyze the freshmen, like not only when they commit, but when they first get on campus and like you see them at, you know, uh, whatever it is, Midnight Madness or whatever they call it down on 4th Street. Um, and, you know, talk about what we think they're going to be. And the guy that I've been on the biggest bandwagon for is my guy, Quinn Zielinski. And his energy on the bench is just incredible. And Billis even gave him a shout out on his hair um, yeah. during the Duke game, which was Pretty much like, you know, besides the buzzer going off after we won, like the, the best moment for me is as far as watching the game. So shout out to Quinn. I know he hasn't got a lot of playing time here in conference play, but um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching him and, and some of the other freshmen like Nickelberry and Irish Hulk. And, um, you know, those guys going forward, even even our guy Jalen that's redshirt. I'm, I'm excited for him.
1: One of the more underrated storylines of this year, um, at least for me with Aiden Nagehan being on the team is probably, I'll say at least two or three times a week, I'll get a direct message or an email from somebody who covers basketball in Ireland or in Europe who like knew about Aiden Nagehan when he was 13, 14 years old um, and want to know why he's not playing. Like they just look at box scores and they're like, Hey, so is he a bad kid? Is, Is he in trouble or like what's going on? And I'm like, No, man, like we just have a couple of guys who are who are older and playing in front of him right now. And I've got to kind of explain that it's going to take some time. But, you know, they saw him just dunk all over, you know, five people who look like me, who are like five foot eight white kids and thought he was going to be all world right out of college. And it's just kind of been an adjustment period for him. And I have to let them know that. But it's they're struggling to grasp it. But hopefully we can make a trip over to Ireland or some point playing that Belfast Classic. I think that would be a cool thing. Because I also I think Aiden's going to be pretty good at some point. I don't know when it's going to be. He obviously we saw him a little bit at the beginning of the year and how much his skills need to develop. But my God, I mean, he's a massive human being who can jump out of the gym, who can, you know, scare the shit out of anybody who's not six foot ten and looks like the incredible Hulk. Uh, I'm excited about Aiden like as a junior. I think he could be a fantastic player.
0: I, I completely agree. He's right now. He's a great guy coming off the bus first. Um, if we're going into a, <laughs> a, a, another team's house, so um, That's exactly no, right. I, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. So I'm,
1: uh, I'm excited to see what he, what he can do going forward. All right. We're not, we're not going to talk about Clemson today. We're hopefully going to get something up, um, for Saturday morning, but we didn't do this the last couple of episodes because we had an emergency pod and we had some stuff going on, but we do like to end the episodes with Danny By telling one of his Dan in the dump story, it has made you be commonly referred to as dumpster Dan, which is a nickname that you have now embraced. But if you missed the first couple episodes where we did this, Danny has a lot of bad luck. Bad stuff happens to him. Usually it's self-inflicted because when we say bad luck, it really means that he's just kind of dumb and he puts himself in bad spots. So, Dan, do you have a, a Dan in the dump story to end this podcast on?
0: Yeah. And shout out everyone that's leaving comments, by the way, on, on the podcast app, um, you know, to, to Mike and dumpster Dan, we, we really appreciate it. So keep leaving the comments, rate, rate the podcast five stars. We love it. So we appreciate it. Um, you know, all the shout outs, but, uh, after gassing myself up there, I guess I'll, I'll tell the story here. (laughs) So, uh, so, Um, It was my niece's birthday. She turned seven uh, this weekend and it was actually the seven year anniversary because this happened on um, the night she was born of something called the uh, dog chicken wing disaster. So what happened was I drove up from Louisville, Kentucky to go meet my niece that was just born. So it's about a three and a half hour drive up to Columbus here. And by the time I got here, I was starving. Um, I wanted to eat before I went to the hospital, but I didn't have time. So I called in some roosters wings, which roosters like, wasn't like a big chain back then. I don't know why that's not part of the story, but, uh, I got some wings, brought them back to, um, my sister-in-law's house who, cause obviously they were having the baby. I dropped them off, put them on the kitchen counter and then, uh, went, met my niece. So I came back from meeting my niece to the house and, i was so hungry i was like god i'm gonna crush these wings and get there and i'm like what the hell where are they and all of a sudden i look the box is on the ground and the dog their dog is just like licking you know licking our lips i was like oh god their dog's name is Maze. i was like Maze must have jumped up and and ate these um i was like hope they're good Maze. so i ran out you know got taco bell uh came back drank a couple beers And, like, next thing you know, like, we're getting ready to go to bed. And my wife, like, texted her sister. And I'm like, hope you don't mind. Like, you know, your dog jumped up and ate, like, 12 of Danny's, like, chicken wings. And they're like, well, dogs aren't supposed to do that. (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. And so, like, we called the vet. They're like, yeah, you need to bring her in immediately. I was like, oh, my God. So I'd already been drinking. And we needed a car at the house. So Kim, my wife, drove me to the vet at about 1230. I brought a couple beers with me, uh, brought the dog. They they went and like, I literally could hear like, as the doctor came in, like, we got chicken wing dog in room three. (laughs) I was like, Oh God. (laughs) So they had to get an x-ray and the x-ray comes back and it looks like a pile of toys in her, like just bones stacked, like one after the other. And they're like, we're going to have to like open her up. I was like, oh my God. So I had to call my sister-in-law who had just had their baby. It was their first night with her. And I was like, Hey, this is like 3:30 in the morning. I was like, sorry to wake you. I hope you guys are doing well with the baby. So by the way, I think maze is going to have to need surgery to get the wings out. And like, of course, like she's all hormonal. So she's crying. I was like, I'm so sorry. They say it's going to be, you know, a pretty easy surgery. So they did it and then of course like the bill comes and i was like am i paying for this right here and, like <laughs> I didn't, it was kind of a uh like because the dog jumped up on the kitchen counter so it was kind of a seinfeld moment where i didn't know if i was going to be on the hook for this bill but luckily they stepped up and paid it and i i repaid him in uh jimmy johns but yeah needless to say uh it was a disaster of a first night with their baby since I had put their dog in surgery by letting her eat chicken wings. So that's my Dan the Dump story.
1: Shout out to Maze the Dog. Shout out to Dan in the Dump. Shout out to Dumpster Dan. Uh, you, J- Danny mentioned it. Please uh, hop on the podcast app. Give us a five-star rating. Write a review if you can. Uh, we'll give you a shout-out. We're at 400 reviews now, which is just, uh, th- that's pretty fucking remarkable. You guys are the absolute best. To try and kind of... Um, to push you in the direction to sweeten the pod a little bit, to get you to write some reviews. We try to read some on every episode. We'll go with uh, Ballin 24 7, not Ballin 24 7, Ballin 24 7. He notes or she notes that Louisville undefeated since the pod launched. Do you think that the two, I mean, can we, how much credit can we take for the fact that Louisville is, uh, I believe, 5 0 since we started doing this?
0: God, uh, what if they literally didn't lose again and won the national title? I mean, we would like have to get some sort of like national attention for that. But whatever. We would. I'll, I'll stay humble.
1: We do the podcast after we do the emergency pod after the championship game um, in Atlanta, maybe wearing some clothes, probably not, though, in just like. Just chugging beers and taking all the credit. We would It's be- us
0: in the hot tub with Chris Mack and three microphones. That's what it is. If, if that's what, we, if we don't lose again, that's how the podcast after the championship will end.
1: I don't think that sounded as cool as you wanted it to. <laughs> when, when, right when I heard it, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's what it's gonna be. Like, I, I don't know how. I don't. I don't think that that's cool. Uh, maybe it Give is. Give us five stars, folks. <laughs> yes, please. We'll, we'll accept a four star after that comment. Uh, North 13 says it's like hanging out with your card fan friends after a game, except Mike and company actually know what they're talking about. Not sure about that, but I uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, how about this? Tig Becca says, Dumpster Dan. Who doesn't love Dumpster Dan?
0: God, Tig Becca. Let's rock. I love it.
1: And Artemis Rex says that the promise of Danny and Mike reminds me of Darren and Cosmo as Chromerica Industries sets off to solve the world's energy problems. That's the best one. That's the best I, one. I'm I've
0: not going to lie. I've read through the comments and I almost want to print that and put it on a shirt. It's absolutely it's so phenomenal. Good.
1: Keep it rocking. Yeah, keep those reviews coming. We really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome to be Uh, in the top 100 of the U.S. charts all week long on the podcast app and the Apple charts. Um, That's been pretty, pretty wild. So we'll call it Episode 8. We're wrapping it up. Uh, Episode 9 coming to you very, very soon. Until then, go Cards, beat Clemson. We'll talk to you soon.